Welcome back, everyone, to Two Bar Stools and a Knife. I'm Nathan Dodge, joined by Professor Brian Connors and Chef John Noble Massey. Say hi, gentlemen. Hi, John. Hi, gentlemen. Thank you very much. <laughs> so this week, we're going to have our first interview during our podcast. We're really excited about this. I found Carlos Leal from Mixology Ice and Rico Farm on Instagram, and he delivered some great fruits and vegetables to my house this week. So hopefully, well, actually, definitely, he signed up to be on our podcast this morning. When he signs into the Zoom, we'll, we'll be able to go on from there. So what's going on this week? How's everyone doing? We're on week 175, I think, for uh, social distancing and quarantine. It might be 176, not too sure. What are you guys up to? I got a, I got a question about that, Dodgy. And to Chef Massey as well, you know, we're, we're seeing a good amount on the news that people are trying to kind of rush to reopen. And we all know the hospitality segment is, you know, devastated right now, literally by this stuff. But what do you guys think about this kind of rush to reopen in Jacksonville Beach? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? So, uh, you know, people need jobs, people need money. The last thing I want are more people to get sick. But I don't know about you. When I go to the beach, I don't want to be around anybody. So I... I, I <laughs> already in the beach like i put a little barrier around myself so stay away yeah, six feet already you on the beach wouldn't be a good thing no 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 it's you know i've been tried people try to push me back in the water every now and then but that's fine you be what Get what about you yeah yeah i think you know i live five minutes from the beach and i haven't been to the beach probably in a in a year you know the typical floridian goes to the beach only when they get visitors. And apparently no one wants to visit me from up north, at least this past uh, month or two. So, you know, overall, the idea of opening the country back up should be different. There's no, there shouldn't be any cookie cutter approach. That's, that's what I think. And it's the same way related to hospitality. It's different things for different folks. And if in the middle of backwoods of Wisconsin and there are zero cases where you're, you're at, then open up a country by all means. But if you're in the middle of where we are, then I think it becomes more challenging. You need more stuff in line before yeah, you. Yeah, I agree. You know, without getting too political, you know, it's yeah, it's real tough. the The governor is doing probably the best that he can. The the mayors are doing the best they can. It is a job I would not want. I would not want to be the ones who say, "All right, you get to." to work and you guys don't ha- don't get to work yet so um yeah. let's stick with cooking and drinking yeah it's a good idea <laughs> i like that we, so I think, what you you know, we're the experts in that drinking? johnny boy well i got my what you i got my case of phala wine and so you know when you get that shipped it's always a good idea not to open those bottles right away if you're ever getting any wine shipped let them sit for at least a week or two and settle. So I've, I've practiced patience this week in making sure that I haven't opened up any of the bottles that I got delivered last week. So I will exercise more patience this week and hopefully. Yes. And there's no such patience in the Connors household. I I would expect nothing less. uh, (laughs) What are you drinking Connors? Well, it's funny. We actually got a, a, a mixed case from uh, Martha Stewart, of all things. Uh, Martha Stewart had a, yeah, I know Dodge, uh, had a wine special through Amex, through American Express, that my fiance found. And it was literally like a case of wine at a value of, you know, $180 for, it was like $79. They did like a discount special promotion through Amex. So that was great. And we did not wait the, uh, and John, I know what you're talking about there. That's typically to let the, the bottles kind of settle, get them tempered back because of all the temperature changes during shipping and that type of stuff. And that's, you know, particularly the, the quality wines you got shipped, John, that's important. The stuff we got was, you know, under, you know, $15, $12 a bottle. And these are everyday consuming bottles. I mean, and that's the majority. And that's really also how vineyards make money is they need to be able to produce those. We want you to drink more basically bottles. You know I mean, it's not the special occasion bottle. It's, oh, let's open a bottle for dinner. Let's, you know, open a second bottle. We have friends coming over, that type of stuff. 
So that's always good. But uh, we've been getting wine shipped, which is unusual for us. But it is very convenient. I got to give it that. Yes. And there are plenty of promotions on now, too, where they're shipping it for free. So God bless. Take advantage of those. Well, I I have plenty of uh, liquor shipped. I found that Instacart is awesome and they are bringing in bottles for me from uh, Total Wine and Spirits. I'm very happy about that. But maybe I'll get the uh, the USPS to do some work for me and and have some some liquor shipped in for me. You know, before we get into a quick little program update... Johnny, I wanted to hear more about what you're cooking lately, buddy. You know, I know you've been baking a lot, you said last week, but have you been going more towards my side on the savory side? Or are you, uh, what's going on? You know, you know, this week I did, I, and I want to talk just a second about bechamel. Now, bechamel isn't very exciting, but one of my former bosses gave me some great advice, and whether it's with cooking or with restaurants or, or even alcohol beverage services, it's the idea of innovating versus inventing. So when I talk about bechamel sauce, bechamel sauce is the base for one of the iconic comfort foods in America, which would be what, guys? Lasagna. That would be a Greek lasagna, maybe. Ah, but what about... Uh, it's that mac as well. Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. There you go. Mac and cheese, right? And so I made mac and cheese for our faculty and staff demo that I did earlier this week. And I didn't make a regular mac and cheese with a typical cheese sauce. I altered the dairy a little bit so you can innovate the dairy and go from like a milk or cream to a coconut milk for that flavor. I substituted half of the coconut milk for a butternut squash soup that I had previously made, or you can buy store-bought So it also improves the healthfulness of it. Not that you want to necessarily have healthy mac and cheese. I think that probably goes against some of the things, at least for you, Dodgy. And then I caramelized the onions that I put in there and and blended it all up with some really good cheese and some different pasta and had myself some yummy mac and cheese. The reason why I mentioned uh, lasagna, John, this is the ironic part. I know we'll nerd out a little bit here. So Lauren is gluten-free. So and every once in a while, you know, I will make a you know lasagna for, and um, you know, because it can sit in the fridge, we can eat it. And so she gets a gluten-free pasta, and I think this one was a corn-based style one. It looked pretty good. But in the recipe, John, it called for a bechamel that will help add moisture to the the dry kind of because they're a non-baked noodle. But check this, listen, gluten-free, and you and I know what's the thickening agent in root. Excuse me, and wow. bechamel yes, is, is, is root. Yeah. Flour. So we, we had to substitute out the flour uh, for that as well. So I had to use uh, non yeah. flour to be able to use a thickening agent for it. So yeah. sorry, we're, or, we're or nerding the, the cornstarch or the cornstarch slurry, right? Which I I love and it's so quick and easy. And so arrowroot. Arrowroot is arrowroot, that as well. More right, so. friendly because uh, sometimes cornstarch uh, doesn't react. So uh, a quick program update, gentlemen, shall we here? So uh, happy to report for the newly launched uh, Bacardi Spirits Management Track. That numbers are on the rise, which is good, as we discussed last week. That means that our FIU community are, is going and checking it out. Um, but they are, there's some room in the classes, so please contact your advisor. If you do have any questions regarding any of the future classes launching this fall, between Professor Dodge and myself, feel free to reach out to me, bconnors at fiu.edu. Or ndodge at fiu.edu if you want to know about the, the art and science of fine spirits, which I'm, I'm getting some really cool ideas to add into this class, including some of the ice balls from Mixology Ice. So Yeah, that's going to be, he'll be a great addition. Oh, no, not at all. He's going to be a great addition, so I look forward to, to the interview coming up. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we had a meeting with the advisory team before we, we kind of all went on 14. So they do have the overall outline and just what the program is all about. But if you have very specific questions, again, feel free to reach out to Professor Dodge, myself, or Christina. And we'll be able to answer those questions for you. But sign up, and we'd like to see uh, those, those courses closed out before summertime because it's Definitely helpful uh, for us for planning purposes. Uh, what do I mean by that? Is that, you know, as discussed in previous podcasts, uh, we have a great lineup of the international ambassadors, as well as Professor Dodge said, 
Uh, we're looking at our industry partners, such as the Mixology Ice and so forth, uh, to be coming into class. And it's easy for us to forecast that to our guest speakers and product development and product donations when we know our exact numbers. How's that for a plug, boys? Pretty good? I like it. Fabulous. So you're Can't saying the to see what that's about. donate some, some liquor for our program? All the product for all of our spirits management track is 100% donated by our partners at Bacardi USA. Nice. Yeah. Now that does, you know, remember we're an academic institution. So if we do have to compare and contrast other brands, that's okay. But the majority, of course, is going to be Bacardi. Um, Christina just sent me a quick little note there. We're in the development too for the Bacardi uh, internship program that we're looking to launch this fall. So we'll keep you posted on that when we get more information on the final details and how to apply and who is eligible and all those details. We'll mention it here on the podcast and of course, get the word out through the Bartenders Guild and of course, through the main channels uh, and the career development department. Now, remember students that anybody could take these classes. So if you are, uh, you, you don't necessarily need to be part of the spirits management program. If you're a journalism student or an engineering student or heck, a Miami-Dade college student, you want to come over and take a class, you're more than welcome. Just with your outside of the university, you have to sign up as a non-degree seeking student. But we'd love to have you. So please, please, please come on in to take our classes. I like it. So that's what's going on in Bacardi world now. Uh, things are in the course. Bacardi Teach uh, is going to be launching uh, soon as well. We're in the final stages of editing content. Jeez, guys, you never knew how long that stuff takes to kind of, you know, even when there are these five minute, 15 minute segments that we're doing with the brand ambassadors and then going back and making it all usable for uh, the course and for the internet. It's incredibly time consuming, more so than we thought. So we got to give a plug to our good friend and colleague, Dale Gomez, for doing an amazing job on everything he's been doing regarding websites and Bacardi Teach, as well as all those fun videos you see coming out as uh, Dale and his team have just been great. Cool. So um, I think we've got Carlos Liel on the um, the line with us. Uh, hey, Carlos, how's it going? Hey, hey Carlos. <laughs> How you doing, guys? So thanks for joining us on this podcast. Um, this is going out to all of our students at the Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. And I know that they'd be really interested in knowing a little bit about what you're doing over there at Mixology Ice and at Rico Farm. So I was curious, how did you get the idea for Mixology Ice in the first place? Well, actually, the idea is not mine or not ours. It's a trend that started in Japan. So give it like years ago, Japanese bar culture was very into details, uh, including all the garnishes, uh, the quality of the ingredients, so on and so forth. And uh, what was key about it was that they were using clear eyes. So before anybody in Japan, they used clear eyes. Was that was the was the good thing is about or or, or the or the thrill behind clear ice is that clear ice is just ice that you take the bubbles out of it. It's like a cheese without holes. Ice works the same way. If you go to your fridge now and you look for the ice, for example, you'll see this one is white. And okay, that whiteness means that it's full of bubbles. It's not dirt. It's not anything like that. It's just bubbles. That means that that ice is hollow, straight, is pretty fast. So once one hole starts attaching to the next one and to the next one, then what you got is a bunch of water. If you manage to take the air out of the ice, aside from the aesthetic fact that it looks amazing because you can see all the way through it, then you actually have a massive 100% water ice. And it dilutes incredibly slower compared to any other ice that you have. On the other hand, you have fractioning of ice. It's not the same to have a full piece than to have like half moons like these ones or um, hollow pieces, the one that you will buy at Publix or CVS or gas station. So once you have that, there's, there's a different world. It's like the hagen das of ice compared to. It's like, okay, this is a Lamborghini, this is a Honda. They both have four wheels, but they are completely different cars. So then you have clear ice versus just any other ice. 
And when you're using, let's say you are, as you guys, are, you are good drinkers. Then I have people that use my eyes to drink beer. And this is fabulous because that chills the beer, but it doesn't water down the beer fast enough to spoil the beer. And at the same time, if you are an old-fashioned or a Negroni person, or if you are a, a person that likes your single malt on the rocks, then you want an ice that will chill, but it won't change too much of the flavor or water down the cocktail. So that's, that's, those are the perks of clear ice. And they, the pieces are hand-cut. There's a guy that actually goes to a, a table saw and he actually trims the ice by hand or with a CNC. That's why it's sold by the piece and not by the pound as the regular ice. So there are two different worlds. Obviously you have like a premium side of it, like you will have it on any other stuff. And then you have the regular ice, the one that you will use for just anything else. Well, I just got my delivery today from Rico Farm and from uh, Mixology Ice. And I was thrilled to see four beautiful round cubes that will be, uh, at least one of them will be used tonight in a, uh, in a glass of whiskey. So I'm pretty excited about that. Now, where are you guys delivering to? Are you just in Miami? Are you all of Florida? No. What's going on? Well, we figure early on that we didn't, uh, don't get me wrong, we like the beautiful stuff. So we do infuse the ice with gold, with flowers, with garnishes, and people love that because it's, it's the extra mile on everything that you're doing with ice. You can even brand the ice. You can have the FIU logo stamped on the ice and you will say, that if you have a graduation or a party or your name or whatever you want to put, that's, that's, the, that's the ultimate display. Figure that you, you at least eight times, you look at your drink before you consume it completely. So that's the closest you, anybody is going to get to a brand. So then ice becomes like the ultimate piece of advertising that you can use. And clear eyes is, is the one that actually highlights everything about it. Well, Carlos, we've teamed up at FIU with Bacardi Internet or Bacardi USA. And Brian could say a little bit more about that, but I know that we're planning a party as soon as this social distancing and quarantine ends. So I'm sure we'd love to do something with you guys. Brian, yeah. what do you think about that? I'll be I'll be happy to collaborate. We work with Bacardi with almost every single event that they have. Oh, if, cool. And so if, if you guys need it, I, I know there's going to be a bunch of brand ambassadors from Bacardi that are already on my client list that they will tell you, I'll purchase the ice for you just for you to have it. So Brian, I, I think was trying to talk, but his microphone was cutting in and out. Brian, can you hear us now? I can. My question, Carlos, was in operations, how does a restaurant, a bar, what have you, build in the cost for your ice product. Yes, it's going to be a better overall cocktail experience, but the cost will be there. And how are most operators uh, during times of operations justifying the cost? I can tell you from what I've seen. Okay, let's get into numbers. The first thing that we did is, is that when we started, we wanted to know what was the bar cost. So we found out that most bars move into 13 to 17% of bar cost. That means that all the costs will represent only 13 to 17% of the, of the operation. They usually build in the cost. And what I know is that they charge a bit extra on those cocktails. And they are cocktails that they don't, they don't actually need to be on, like on this specialty ice. And if the menu is well balanced, they will have crushed ice they will have cold draft or hokusaki cubes on it, which is a machine cube, but it's a fairly big cube for a machine. And it's a, it's a, a complete cube. For example, cold draft and hokusaki, they are 125 by 125. So that's, that's a cube cube, and, and people will use it. And then for, the, for what they call signature cocktails, they will add this ice to it. So for example, you'll see the breakers on the lobby they have the spheres with the red rose on it. So that's the lobby bar. When you enter and you go to the lobby bar, which is the main bar for the happy hour they have, everybody will go nuts about ordering with the red rose because it's very Instagrammable as it's very social media liking 
piece of ice and, and stuff like that. On the other hand, and, and this is a trend, I have seen high-end bars, and by high-end I mean people who charge a bunch of dollars for the cocktails, not necessarily being the cocktail good, but they charge a lot, okay? I have seen them charging for the ice as it comes. Let's say I charge you 65 cents for the ice. They will sell it for $2, and they will tell you you're paying for the ice. And regardless, people buy the cocktail with the premium of $2 over. Let's say the cocktail was $20, now they're charging $22, and they don't care. So it's almost like an upsell type of experience. That's correct. I like it, yeah. I, I believe they're even making money out of the ice instead of, if, instead of being a cost. If you ask me, I will say most of the restaurants, they build in the cost. They don't want to show. They're, they're trying to compete. But those that they don't really care about who's coming and, and because they are big spenders, they just charge you for it. Johnny, any questions on the culinary front, sir? I, you know, I wanted to make sure that I asked the question about the before and after. Carlos, with you working with all of these premium bars and restaurants, uh, have you had the opportunity to do some case studies or have they shared with you that they've seen an increase in the number of signature cocktails as a result of using your ice? And is that something that you would like to share with our students and anyone listening to the podcast, if there's a, if there's a great example of a before and after snapshot of how sales might have improved after using your product? To be honest with you, I don't, I don't think our presence like, or our product will enhance the sales per se. What I do see is that there's, there's been a trend, as I tell you, the Japanese started like 15 years ago, then the main adopters in the U.S. were uh, the West Coast and, and, and New York. And then about, we have now with the company five years or something, and we were the first in South Florida. Now I believe we are, if not five, then seven companies. We are the only one in the U.S. shipping ice to Chicago and to New York as well. So we do, obviously, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, uh, West Palm, Tampa, Orlando. And that's pretty much the South Florida belt that we cover. But on top of that, we send trailers with ice to New York and to Chicago. In none of those cities, I would say we are by no means a force that drives sales. I will tell you there's a confirmed trend and culture at the very beginning, there was no culture. I, 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 I remember my first two clients were Finca Table on Tap and Suma in downtown. And they were the first two to jump right away into it. After that, the school of bartending in Miami exploded. From the guys of Broken Shaker to Sweet Liberty to Julio that, that was at the regions at the moment. And a bunch of guys that built the, the the grounds of bartending, they started to level up the standards. It's like, okay, guys, if we're going to do an old-fashioned, this is the way it has to be done. And that standard, that, new, that, that change in standard accommodated the clear eyes like the Japanese did back in time. Yeah. So it's like, okay, if we got to do it, there's only one route to go. And then we were there sourcing the amount of eyes that they needed to support. It's like, I cannot be creative if I don't have all the ingredients to be creative. But now that I do, I can allow myself to, to be creative on, the, on that end. So we facilitated an ingredient that was not in the market at the moment. Uh, I wouldn't say we are sales pushers. I, I would say we rounded a cocktail. because okay. we, we make it complete because you will use garnishes that you will find anywhere, you know, on quality-wise, but ice was nowhere to be found. And, and Carlos, one more question, and I think this is something that, that may be beneficial. Is it, have you seen your ice be used in any culinary applications at all, either 
in a customizable format, maybe as receptacle to hold a, a sorbet or be an accent to a dessert or in any other culinary application or just solely yeah. in bars right uh, now? Chefs use it. For example, we, we have this very complicated piece that we don't like to do much, to be honest, but it's, it's pretty cool. That is, that we, we put water, uh, water in a balloon, then we half freeze the balloon, we cut the balloon, and we hollow the balloon. We extract the remaining water, and what you have is like kind of an igloo of ice that you will put frozen desserts inside or fresh food or raw food. Like Japanese restaurants or the end of the day, they put a bunch of stuff inside. And that's pretty cool. Hey, Carlos. So Chef Massey, Professor Connors, and I are all food guys. We're not just drinking guys, but we also are big into food. And I'm thrilled that you guys, you've teamed up with Rico Farms. That's one of the, uh, the way that I, I was super psyched because they delivered this morning a big box with tomatoes, heirloom tomatoes. I got okra, which I guess that means I have to make some New Orleans-style food, some zucchini, green beans, blueberry corn, I got one piece of fruit. I had to text you and ask you what it was because I'd never seen a guava before. I've only seen it in that red block. So I didn't know what to do with that. Just but I am super <laughs> stoked. Just bite is what you said. Yeah. I'm super stoked to get start cooking some of these vegetables. So how did you team up with Rico Farms and, and how is that a value add to your com- uh, company? Well, I figured that this is the, this is the fifth week that, that our factory is closed. We are 11 workers in the factory. Everybody's at home. So actually, Rico Farm is, is ours. We invented it. We came up with the concept because we had our refrigerated bands, our coolers, our freezers, everything is, is there with no use whatsoever. So we figure, you know what? If we cannot make ice, we need to find a way to bring people what they really need right now. And I, I started noticing and seeing what everybody's seeing right now, which is six, uh, six separation queues and lines to get into market to three hours lines to get groceries. And then I went and I started taking pictures on Whole Foods and taking pictures of Publix and everything else and, and doing my math and talking to farmers in Florida. I mean, I wanted, I wanted to be in Florida because it's something that locally can help a lot because Florida has been suffering for a while and nobody is talking about it, about a, a price competition. So everybody is going to Salvador, to Mexico, to Dominican Republic, everywhere else just to get better pricing. And then Florida growers, they are left with whatever crop they can accommodate and sell internally in the U.S. So it was a double purpose. It was, hey, we have to reinvent ourselves and somehow create uh, out of this mess a new opportunity of business. And at the same time, bring together a better pricing for a food that it will be a lot fresher because for example, we went yesterday to the farms to pick up all the cases. The cases were picked in the very morning. So what you have today is something that has less than 24 hours from the soil to the case to your hands. And uh, the amount, you have 25 pounds of produce for a pricing that is more than, I believe it should be one third of what you should be paying on the market. So... Based on seasonality, you will see that the next box, once you get into subscription, for example, changes. We're getting more veggies out of the center of Wachula. We are getting oranges from Miami. We are getting a bunch of garnishes for at-home cocktails. We are partnering with different uh, restaurants that they are pre-bashing the cocktails all together to create like a deluxe box that you have not only produce, but you will have some pre-batches that you can use right away. So if you team up everything all together, then the box starts to look interesting. You are getting, you will be getting fruits, you'll be getting uh, vegetables, you'll be getting what we call in Spanish bandas, uh, which is uh, yuca, how do you call this, um, sweet potato, 
malanga. There's a bunch of stuff. And then we'll start adding recipes to it. So people kind of start to experiment and to, like you said, I, I will have to go to a New Orleans recipe to use okra. In, in, uh, for okra for Cubans, it's kimombo. And we have a bunch of recipes for kimombo as well. Cool. So, well, I'll tell you, the blueberries are almost gone. The wife and I hit those hard as soon as we got them. We went through one of the heirloom tomatoes for lunch. So, yeah, we're, we're really excited. We eat a lot of fresh produce. So, actually, we don't eat as much as we should. So, the fact that it's now in the house, it's going to have to get eaten. And we don't want to go to waste. So, we're, we're so super psyched. I know that Chef Massey, he gets some fresh produce up in... Uh, the Boca Raton area, but I don't know. Do you deliver that far north? Oh, yeah. Actually, I updated. Uh, uh, I told you I was going to do it. I updated all the zip codes, including Broward County. If, I don't know if Boca is in it, but I can take a look at it. I know for sure Plantation is in it, Fort Lauderdale is in it, Hollywood is in it. I believe some of the of the, of the, the, the regions and zip codes that were out of it, and now they're included. And I believe it's going to be pretty cool, you know, like having on a weekly basis something different to play around with that I will attest. And this is very important. I will tell you always, I don't know if you if you got the, the piece of paper. It was like a small piece of paper. That one. I will tell you exactly where are we taking the, the food from. It's like early tomatoes. Okay, this is for Michael Michael Borek Farms. And this is from Sam Acuria's farm. And this is from... Maria Corona Farms, and this is from, and then you get a sense for the first time because if you go, for example, and buy olive oil, you will see sourced from different sources. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> of course, but uh, you need to tell me which farm, which Spanish farm you take it from, and, and and that's what we're trying to do. Give the credit to to those who made it. We are not like targeting their pricing just to make a big profit out of it. We just want the rotation to exist. So when this is over, everybody has a new exciting project to keep following up to. It's like, okay, if I go to the market, it's because I'm going to find something that is not produce, not I need, that it has to be at some point meat or something like that. But I'm planning to include eggs. I mean, planning to include bacon. Um, you know, a bunch of stuff that is, is actually made in South Florida and it will support altogether everybody. So that's, that's exciting to us. As well, a I'm also allergic to eggplant and I mentioned that. And when I got this little piece of paper, it said, I guess eggplant was supposed to be on there and you scratched it out and you, you sent some yellow squash instead, which I, yeah. so I appreciate that you were able to even make a couple changes based on preferences and, and allergies. My wife was upset because she likes eggplant, and I said, well, I'm not going to cook it for you, so I got that. <laughs> but, yeah, no, this is we're, – we're so psyched um, at the, uh, the Dodge household. No, this is um, – believe me, it's amazing. I would love the chefs to try it. I would love them to um, give it a try and see what's coming next week. Criticize me because we need to get a sense of reality. Right now, we don't want to miss on the weight, on the amount of pounds that we deliver, and something that makes sense. I wouldn't put something that you don't know what to do with. I'll try to somehow balance the box in a way that you have some salad food, you have some comfort food, you have some something to play around altogether. And and I believe next one is going to be even more interesting. It's going to have more leafy kind of produce which I'm very psyched because we got, we got a very good understanding with a farmer in the center that is, is providing us with a huge amount of stuff that will start like fueling into, into it's, it's off season and they are managing to make it. So it's very good. The only thing, and, the only comment or criticism that I would have is it's a ton of food and there's only two of us. So if you had smaller boxes, that would be even better just for the people who are husband and wife and no kids. But That's good. Yeah. honestly, um, I'm, I'm sold. I'm going to put in my order for next week. John, you had a comment? Well, for the single guys, but like myself. But the other thing I was going to say was, yeah, I, I love the selection that you, that Professor Dodge shared in his pictures. The, the selection was really super nice. So I think that's something that, that you're hit the nail right on the head in terms of variety. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hey, Carlos, tell us where we can find you on either Instagram or any of the spaces out there. What's the best way for our students and our listeners to contact you? Well, we are using most of it Instagram. Our, our database from Mixology is, is, is pretty good on Instagram, on emails. So we are trying to start conversations one-to-one. So people pay attention to what I'm saying. And I'm trying to communicate with them one at a time. Emails, I have done a bunch. And I have found very supportive schools that is, they're working with us right now. Because parents are going nuts about having the kids at home doing this online thing. So there are a bunch of food that all of a sudden they need to purchase. And they don't, obviously they want the best for the food and for the kid. And, and right now, the school people, it's like, okay, this is very interesting. We, we would like to have some of this at home. So I, 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 we have found a lot of support from school people, which I didn't expect or target at first. But then when talking to people, we find out that that was, that was pretty cool. And, and emails, Instagram, and one-to-one conversations. Those are the keys right now to get orders rolling. So your Instagram handle is what, Carlos? Right. We are from Mixology Eyes. I'm from Rico Farm. Rico Farm, which has started the page, is, has like four followers, nothing more than that. But we are supposed to be growing that step by step. So we are, we're going to be reposting everything from Mixology Eyes and Rico Farm on a daily basis until Rico Farm by itself, it has their own personality and a bunch of audience all together. We're trying to keep the cost down. If not, I will just put an ad. And, and spend a hundred bucks a day and try to reach as many people as possible. But right now, cost is paramount to, to keep narrowing, you know? It's like, okay, what are we having? Well, you've got one more follower. I just clicked follow, and it looks like I can also go to www.ricofarm.com. I know that's where I placed my order, so that's probably where I'll place my order again. Yep. All right. Well, um, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but thanks a lot, Carlos. We appreciate you... Uh you visiting our two bar stool and a knife podcast. All right. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for inviting me. This is awesome. And we, thank you. I can uh, somehow support your program. What you got. Well, he, he seemed to get cut off a little bit at the very end. I think his uh, computer died, but that was awesome. That was um, Carlos Leal from mixology ice and Rico farm. That was, we're, we're going to put the uh, information down in the show notes if anyone has any questions. What did you guys think about that interview? I thought it was, I thought it was fabulous. Great. Yeah, it's great. And the, the, what he's doing for the community, uh, and particularly on the food side, John, I think we've got enough yeah. power to get him up to Boca to your house. Yeah. And, and I'm talking about innovating versus inventing on bechamel sauce. Talk about innovating, you know, from ice to distributing fresh farm produce. That's innovating, and I love that, making something really good out of what is a challenging situation for everybody. So kudos. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's entrepreneurship at its finest right there. We had the space, he had the refrigeration, he had the relationships, he's tapping into other people's in need and, and taking care of the community. So uh, kudos to Carlos and his whole team. That's awesome. I'm getting a text from right now. Yeah, his, his battery died, so that's why he dropped off so quick. So um, thank you, out in cyberspace, Carlos. Oh, wait, hang on. Um, John, he said if you can help him out with some of those recipes, he'd really be interested. So he's going to send you a list of what um, veggies he's going to do. So if you can help him out with what with some recipes, that'd be awesome. Sure. <laughs> See that, John? You'll get him, to get him to Boca. Yes, yes. I hope I'll so, get a nice package of fresh produce to cook with. Yes. Well, let me tell you, I had some green beans and I, I roasted them. They came out awesome. I made some, um, last night I did fried okra. Very, very healthy because I just use lard. So the lard, you know, it, it really is. It's heart healthy. Mm-hmm. I actually feel my heart right now. You're supposed to feel your heart, right? No? No. Yes. No, not no. one bit. No, <laughs> not, not- <laughs> Not bursting through your chest. <laughs> hmm. I All thought right. yours was two sizes too small. That's a different story. Lard <laughs> and salt is the two things that I don't need. Awesome. But no, they were great. We've got tons of tomatoes. We've been eating the tomatoes. Uh, took some corn over to mom and dad's house. So the, everything is awesome. 
All right, boys, let's go to some uh, Q&A from our participants, uh, the FIU Bartenders Guild. We have a few questions in front of us. Dodgy, I see there, there's one there on shit shaken, not stirred. Uh, if you want to talk Bond. a little bit about that. James and, uh, Bond. There you go. And then I saw, actually, I'm going to dovetail a little bit off of what uh, Carlos was saying when I asked him about uh, the cost side of it all, because, again, that's important. And I know, uh, Professor Massey, you're going to be putting your uh, other hat on this semester coming up. Uh, you got to be excited for the summer to teach restaurant management. It's a great class, man. I've taught that, you know, many, many, many times. I'm super excited about that. You know, my background has been diverse in both the kitchen and front of the house. And so now I get to exercise a little bit of my front of house chops and teach some uh, restaurant management to 40 students. My class all booked up. So hopefully we get some of those students on this podcast and tell them that I'm looking forward to spending some time with them over the summer. Nice. nice. So yeah, shake and not stir. Let's talk about that. So why do you shake a cocktail? Well, the, the main reason is to get air into it. So you would do shake and cocktails for, um, Things with either citrus juice or egg whites or dairy to really give a lot more air bubbles and make the drink a smooth or frothy. And really, it's to help emulsify these ingredients. The one time that you would never, ever, 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 ever shake a cocktail is when it would be straight vodka in a glass. Uh, James Bond is wrong. He was he was ordering a watered down bruised cocktail he ordered a terrible martini you would never <laughs> shake a martini whoever shakes martinis you know they should be taken thrown off a ship because <laughs> right there what you're doing is you're breaking up those ice cubes and the ice cubes are melting in the, the gin or the vodka and it's watering down it's making a frothy gin or vodka and you don't want a frothy gin or vodka you want that clear crystal clear vodka that's cold. Um, the, the best way to do it is you, you stir it. Actually, the way that I make my martinis is really simple. I keep a bottle of very good gin. Um, right now, it is a bottle of the Bacardi product. It's Bombay Sapphire in the freezer. And I open it up and I put a cap full of vermouth in the bottle, shake it up, put it in the freezer, leave it. And then every day when I want my martini, I pull it out of the freezer and I pour it into a martini glass and put it in two olives. Very simple. Even, who even needs the glass, huh? Just right from the bottle. I put a nipple on it and just... The classes are getting a little too long. I, maybe I'll do that, but... Hey, hey Dodgy, you ever shake a drink that has carbonation in it? soda or tonic would you ever do that never because you don't want to break up the bubbles of the carbonation this week we have a um the faculty and staff we meet for a virtual happy hour so this week i was sitting in the pool and i was making dark and stormies now dark and stormy is very simple it's gosling's ginger beer and gosling's dark rum if you use any other rum it's not a ginger beer. it's not a dark and stormy if you use any other ginger beer it's not a dark but I've been on cruise ships and I've ordered one and they shook it. Why? Dark and Stormies are such a beautiful drink. It's you, you layer it out nicely and it's that ginger beer on the bottom and you float the rum on top and it's beautiful. That's where the name Storm comes off, from. It's Storm off the ship. like a, a storm clap is what it's exactly. called. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, all, all right. So B. Connors, what, what do you call it if you don't use Gosling's up? Uh, mm. Mm. Well, we actually had that challenge up in Newport. We called it a Newport storm. When one year we weren't able to get actually, Gosling's been sponsored, so we called it. You can really call it whatever you want. Um, Safe Harbor is kind of the the generic one, but you will get sued by Gosling's if you do not use Gosling's rum and Gosling's uh, ginger beer. So they are, if they find you, they will sue you. The, the whole the whole Barrett's rum and that type of stuff. So hey, let me uh, watch this one. Hang on. Did you hear that, guys? We did. Good. I that's, did. That's my soapbox. I'm going to get up in my soapbox. How'd <laughs> you like that, huh? How uh, many students know what a soapbox is? What do you do with all soap? Well, it, it was, I won't get too so nerdy, but coming from New England, they use the soapbox to be able to make their announcements. It goes back to England and everything else. 
but so I wanted to kind of continue on or dovetail a little bit. And then Massey, feel free to use this during restaurant management. Um, yes. So the interesting thing is that ice is food, all right? And a lot of times uh, for those that are listening that have taken uh, restaurant management with me or a course where I talk a little bit about the, the beverage side and particularly beverage management, it's really that you got to look as ice is definitely part of the overall cocktail experience. And that's what you heard Carlos and I talking about there. And that's also very critical. Also how he's willing to upsell uh, or pay a little bit more for a better ice experience. Listen to that academic jargon, right? Uh, but it's true. Now, but let's go back to where, what if you don't have enough ice and what's going to happen? The moment your property, your operating bar, whatever restaurant, you need to start buying ice, bringing ice in from the outside, it will skew your whole beverage cost. In other words, so you're actually adding more to it. I had a, I was actually at Country Club uh, 100 years ago, and we actually had a member that was on the food and beverage committee, and she wanted to know what the cost of ice was. And we were able to figure out, Johnny, you've heard these crazy stories before, but we were able to figure out how much water went into the machine at at each cycle, right? Right. And then the electric it took during that time period. So we put it all together. And then at the time, it was actually making some larger uh, style cubes, like the size you would get from an old school high school tray. And we were able yeah. to figure out exactly how much each cube costs. Now, I would not recommend that to anybody, but it was very educational. Or maybe they were just torturing me as a uh, young young manager at the time. Who knows? But, you know, finding the right ice for the right cocktail is important and also the right speed of ice. Uh, you might hear bartenders talking about speeding ice up uh, by adding liquid to it, i.e. hot water, that type of stuff, uh, to make it faster during service. But now we see cocktail stations now that are built uh, to have numerous styles of ice in it for different cocktails, from the large spheres that Professor Dodge and Carlos were talking about, to crushed ice, to different cube size, even to shaved from a block, uh, which I always think is very, very sexy. The last thing from my, wait for it, soapbox is burning ice. Uh, I have many, 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 many pet peeves, and the list is now so damn long, but one of my large pet peeves is burning ice. Uh, For those of you who ever work behind a bar, burning ice means it's when a bartender takes the faucet, turns it over the ice bin, or takes large pitchers of steamy, hot, hot water and pours down the ice to melt it off. Okay. But think about it from an operator and think about it from the standpoint that you are now costing money and energy to heat up that water. The cost of that water, right, not only to make the ice, now to pour it on top of the ice, it's, it's craziness. So this comes back to really your procedures of how you're doing things in your property. If it's going to be your SOP, your standard, standard, standard operating procedure... <coughs> Um, is to remove all the ice, just make sure you're specifying that as well. We just had a quick question, and I'll close out on this one, about when glass breaks in ice. Oh, my God. When this do- you, you cannot uh, assume that, oh, I got it all out, no problem. You know, if you have a- and this happens quite a lot in busy places, that, oh, I got it all out. Another old school, Johnny, you might remember this, is that people yeah. will grab grenadine and pour it on top of the ice as they're going to get it cleaned out, what have you, to... Uh, stop people from using it. If that's only if you have to, but if you are the bartender behind the sticks that that happens to or in a wait station, you got to make sure you stop service right there and then clean the whole thing out, thoroughly clean it, uh, then with hot water uh, to ensure that you've got all the, you want everything out of there as far as glass fragments uh, and then refill it with fresh ice because that can actually cause a great deal of damage to someone's uh, stomach and intestinal tract and then also lead to lawsuits that are not very much fun for basically uh, negligence on the guest part or on the operator's part to the guest. All right, I'm stepping. Now, I'm going to have a nice question. I've got a nice question. And I'm going to pose this one to John Massey, who travels the world, especially to Europe and Italy. Why do the Europeans not use ice? Well, their median temperature is lower than than ours and so they have been accustomed to longer periods without 
without ice. And it, I think that's just something that they're, they're used to. Americans love ice. We are a little bit warm over here and, and, and customarily you'll find even, I find it more so with beers than with cocktails, right? There, and I have yet to travel to Ireland or Britain, but I would love to and enjoy some of those delicious beers over there. But I understand and recognize and appreciate that they have beers served at a warmer temperature or room temperature versus but, our chilled drafts. Like you said, room temperature over there is damn cold, especially when they're doing cellar drafts. So the exactly. cellar drafts could be 50 degrees. So, yeah, it is warmer. But And, and, and the same thing with wine, right? So they're the uh, typical advice when we teach wine classes is serve reds at room temperature and, and whites chilled. Well, over there, room temperature is lower. And so it's probably at a reasonable temperature here. I like to pull my reds out of my wine refrigerator, my small 30 bottle refrigerator. And it's set at 55 degrees and that's, close to where I'd like to drink. I'd probably between 55 and 64 reds for me. Dodgy also on that question, you know, because I, I lived in Europe, lived in Ireland, Italy, anywhere else. Uh, but I remember back in the day asking about that same question uh, that, Hey, how come, you know, because in America we use a lot of ice and that's, but it's also the English believe uh, perception of value that they think if you're adding too much ice, you're trying to cheat the system. And remember in uh-huh. Europe, particularly in Ireland and UK, Alcohol is regulated by the government. That's why you see they have like the, you put the glass underneath uh, the bottle and it has an exact measured amount that comes out. So they don't use much ice because again, the regulation side. So they think they want to get that perceived value uh, as well. And it's, a, it's an absolute 100% cultural thing. Very much so. Totally cultural. Yep. Good question. Yep. Yep. Cool, cool. Yeah, great question. So I think we're running close to the end of our podcast for the day. Um, make sure that you follow us on Instagram, follow us on, on Facebook and everywhere else. I have no idea what our Instagram accounts are. Do you guys know what they are? I know you can follow the bartenders hospitality. And it's a FIU bartenders guild for Christina and her team that are actually zooming this afternoon, Tuesday afternoon at five 30. So check them out. They'll be rocking and rolling. Cool, cool. Um, and you can find us ndodge at fiu.edu. Jay Massey at fiu.edu. And of course, B Connors at uh, fiu.edu uh, with any questions regarding our future programs. If you have any questions for Chef Massey, Professor Dodge, and, and or myself, if I can break out my soapbox again, I gladly will uh, on any of those type of topics. But we look forward to hearing from you. And next week, we'll have a brand new topic. Uh, one closing comment or question that I got was, uh, hey, Connors, what's the difference between the spirit management track, the Bacardi spirit management track, and bartender teach? And at a real high level, uh, the spirit management track is specifically for FIU students uh, and the FIU community. And then Bacardi teach, which is, of course, going to be offered to our students, but it's also going to be uh, heavily industry driven, where we'll be uh, incorporating a lot more of the industry uh, and a good portion of that is going to be online as well as live come the fall. So that's the simplest way to do it. Uh, and those are going to be for non-credit or micro-credentialing type programs. So all good. All right. That's it for me, boys. Anything else in closing comments? I got nothing. Great show. All right, guys. We'll awesome see job. you virtually next week. Have a good one, right. guys. Thank Woo-hoo. you, guys. Cheers. Look forward to it. 